Welcome to Financial Modelers Corner, where we discuss the art and science of financial modeling with your host, Paul Barnhurst. Financial Modelers Corner is sponsored by Financial Modeling Institute. Welcome to Financial Modelers Corner. I am your host, Paul Barnhurst. This is a brand new podcast where we will talk all about the art and science of financial modeling with distinguished financial modelers from around the globe. The Financial Modelers Corner podcast is brought to you by Financial Modeling Institute. FMI offers the most respected accreditations in financial modeling. I am excited to welcome our first ever guest on the show, In Schnorr. In, welcome to Financial Modelers Corner. Thank you, Paul. Thrilled to be here. Very excited to have you. So could you start by just giving our audience your background? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure, Paul. So again, well, thanks for having me. We're thrilled to be part of the podcast and to be uh, sponsoring the podcast through Financial Modeling Institute. My background is that I started my career as an investment banker many years ago. I worked in uh, at a bank called BMO, BMO Capital Markets, and then I worked at Citibank for a couple of years doing traditional investment banking work, mergers and acquisitions, et cetera. Uh, at the time, modeling was a fairly you know, sort of early stage nascent skill. Uh, this was the late 90s, and I really got into it and loved modeling and trying to push the envelope on what models could do. And after spending about six years as an investment banker, I left banking and started a training firm, sort of realized that there was no opportunity for people to really learn formally. And bankers were learning it on the fly, on the job. In fact, most at the time, all banks were just teaching their own people how to build models. And when I worked in banking, I was one of the guys that every, every year they said, hey, Ian, the new guys are starting. Can you, can you run a training program for them? <laughs> uh, there was nothing external. So I started a training firm called the Marquee Group. Uh, that was just we just sold and um, and at the marquee group the marquee group runs financial training programs all over the world to banks schools all sorts of financial professionals a number of years ago we a number of my colleagues and some other partners that I know around the world noticed a gap and noticed sort of a real need globally for accreditation. There was nothing in the way of financial modeling accreditation. So we went and started the FMI, which is a completely independent um, organization focused on financial modeling, building a financial modeling community and, and rigorous, challenging uh, accreditation programs. Thank you for that introduction. Appreciate it. Can you share maybe a little bit more of how you started the Financial Modeling Institute? You mentioned you got together with some people you saw a need, but maybe a little more of the backstory there. It's kind of interesting to see that accreditation. Well, I mean, it was um, it came out of the fact that as when I was running a training firm, what we started to see was that everybody uh, and training is extremely important and, it's, and it'll always be important to kind of have opportunity to learn and to train. I mean, there were a couple major reasons. There was a, there was a couple major drivers that led a bunch of us to feel like, you know what, there's a gap in the market and there's a need for accreditation. And one was that we started realizing uh, at our training firm that all of the students we would teach would put on their res resume that they attended one of our training courses. So banks would see, hey, all these students had attended a training course and with, with the marquee group. And they would call me up and say, hey, we noticed that this guy, Paul, he took your course. Is he any good? And I'd say, I don't know, probably not. He took a course. I mean, uh, uh, courses are great, but courses as a trainer, as an instructor, you, you can get the students halfway. You can bring them to the water, but you can't force them to get really good at something. Training shows you the way. It gives you the, the instruction. But to become masterful at any skill, at any topic, you need to, as a student, work at it yourself, practice it. 
And that's the one thing that a trainer doesn't always know. So we realized that, that, that there was a massive need for people to truly prove that they had strong modeling skills. The other thing that started happening was that around seven, eight years ago, banks and recruiters started putting right on their job postings. They would say, we're looking to hire undergraduates or MBAs, and we want to hire somebody who has strong financial modeling skills. That was new. When I started my career, nobody asked me if I had strong modeling skills when they interviewed me. But about seven or eight years ago, recruiters started asking candidates, do you have strong modeling skills before they hired them? They made it a prerequisite. And so people more and more were putting on training courses on their resume. And so we realized that there was a need to validate people's skills in a way that really never existed. There was nothing like it in the world. Totally makes sense. And I wish I would have had something like this coming out of school. You know, I feel like one of my biggest limitations when modeling is just never really have had a good training. You just go into a job. I went into you know, corporate finance in America and it's like, oh, hey, we need this model built. And you just start throwing it together. And, and the number one reason why when you ask someone, hey, why did you build something that way? They say, I don't know that because that's what my boss always did. And, and you ask the boss and the boss says, well, well, that's what my boss used to do. And there's there's no <laughs> method to the madness. People just pick up on habits and they're often bad habits and they just try and figure things out without any sense of discipline around it. And they, yeah, people just hack and figure out as best they can. And that's how it's worked. Completely agree. You know, there hasn't been that discipline in modeling. We're definitely seeing that continue to improve and seeing more rigor and discipline. But I know for me, it was just, hey, just figure it out as I go. I still remember speaking of modeling. So I had a job, I had a CFO that had a great relationship with. He really liked me and we, he wanted us to build these models a certain way. And he sat down and he had worked investment banking for years and was a, you know, really, really good modeler. And he's like, I want you to use a certain type of formula to do this. And I couldn't figure that part out because I'd never done it that way. And, you know, I'd built some good models. And so he ended up bringing in somebody else to work with me. And because of course I had the most difficult model in the company. And then he wanted it done a way I hadn't done before. And I'm like, I ended up working with someone, I think, for seven months. And I learned so much then because he had worked in investment banking as well of just saying, OK, here's the corkscrew. Here's this. So I have a real appreciation for what you're doing that it you know, enforces some rigor because if somebody gets your accreditation, they know, you know best practice. They know how they should model and they know that design's important. Oh, I mean, you've heard me say that design is the most important and modelers often don't think about that or focus on that. I mean, I always love to tell people, you know, I've trained, I think I've personally trained 20 or 30,000 people all, all over the world over the years through my, through the training that I used to run uh, and still do run. And that gave me a tremendous insight into models and modelers. And I've seen thousands of models. Modelers often, you know, usually have an accounting or a finance background, sometimes both. And they're very focused on that element. And the one area people give very, very little focus to and very little attention to, but as you've heard me say, the absolute number one reason why models fail is poor design. Modeling is a very multidisciplinary skill set, which is why I love it and many people do. To be a really good model, you have to understand accounting. You have to understand and appreciate finance. You have to understand the right Excel technology or the spreadsheet technology you use. You have to understand design. You have to understand business logic and be able to pull all of it together into one powerful, cohesive tool that can be used to make effective decisions. And without design, the whole thing falls apart. Totally agree. And I love the multidisciplinary. That's one of my favorite things about it is sitting down with the business and, you know, making changes and be like, okay, here's what would happen in the business and here's why, and really being able to take them through it versus, well, what happens if we do this? I'll get back to you next week because the model's so poorly designed. I got to go rip it apart to answer a basic question. 
Oh, I heard that. I used to hear that all the time. CFOs would call me up and say, Ian, is this right? Is this right? I asked my team to update something or to give me a new answer to run a scenario in the model. And they told me it would take a week. Is that right? Should that be the case? And, and I always used to say, well, no, I mean, it really, it should take about 15 seconds. They should get to the answer. But I know what's happening. What's happening is they had 19 files all interconnected and they had to make that change in 42 different spots and they had to run a bunch of tests and they had to check it and they had to make sure and validate that every time they made a change that it was flowing through and working and all the files were updated. I knew it without even seeing it because I've seen it a hundred times. That's what we, what we call you know, a model being dynamic. A dynamic model means that one change flows through everywhere perfectly, beautifully, and you can get an answer seamlessly, instantly. And many models are not dynamic. They need to be updated and manually changed all over the place. So yeah, we talk about that a lot at the FMI. Now, speaking about FMI, what is it that makes it unique? You know, if there were two or three things you were going to list that really makes FMI unique from other resources out there, what would that be? What makes it unique gets, again, into part of what I didn't mention already is why we've developed it. And one of the other things I should mention is one of the things that always frustrated me as a corporate finance professional is when you think about a deal, when you think about most typical deals that exist, think about a classic M&A mergers and acquisition deal. You have a lot of fun, you have a lot of professionals that work on the transaction. You're going to have your lawyers and your accountants, and you might have engineers doing due diligence and various consultants, and you might have actuaries trying to evaluate the pension plans. When you think about a whole team of professionals working on a deal, every single one of those professionals is educated and independently accredited through an organization that says, yeah, you actually have the skills as an architect or a lawyer. Would you hire a lawyer on your team that had not passed the bar? Of course not. You would not hire a lawyer to work on a deal if they were not a certified lawyer or the same thing with an engineer or an accountant. Yet, the one profession that does not have accreditation, the financial model or the banker, the person at the middle of the transaction building the model could be anybody. There's no way for a client to know if the person modeling has excellent skills, has passed some sort of rigorous exam or not. And so what's unique about the FMI is we are trying, it's the, we are the only organization in the world trying to bring corporate finance. And I, and I use that as a broad envelope. I use that to encompass accounting and finance and FP&A and anyone who builds models we're trying to elevate this profession, and it is a profession, so that it's at the same level as all the other professions I just mentioned, where people are educated and accredited. But what's unique about FMI specifically is we're the only organization in the world that's offering rigorous, challenging, proctored accreditation exams. So think about the CFA exams or accounting, your accounting board exams. They're accredited, they're proctored, um, they're rigorous same thing with our exams. And to, to get through our level one AFM, advanced financial modeler, means you have to build up a model from scratch in under four hours. It's proctored. And to do that, we know for sure that you have phenomenal modeling skills. So that's what what's I think is unique. Um, there's a lot of training firms out there that, that offer training and then give you a badge, but that doesn't validate. What's unique about FMI is that someone who gets the AFM truly has excellent financial modeling skills. And for me, that's the reason when I was looking to improve my modeling skills. And I, you know, we've talked about this before and co then COVID hit. When I originally was going to take the FMI, the reason I chose the FMI of some of the others out there is I'm like, it's an actual accreditation. I got to demonstrate that I have the qualifications. I don't just take a course, maybe take a multiple choice test and I'm done. Somebody's looking at this and saying, all right, this guy actually understands. He's proven he can build a three-way model that is well-designed in a time frame that makes sense. That's exactly it. And listen, I'm not trying to cut down any. The training firms out there are tremendous and they are necessary and they serve a critical purpose. 
And there's a reason why, you know, you can do a training course and you answer a few multiple choice questions and you can demonstrate that you passed it and you got a badge. But modeling is a skill. You know, I like to joke around and make an analogy. I mean, it's like any sport. It's like playing the piano or it's like learning golf. I mean, I can teach you everything you need to know about golf in a few hours. But if you really want to be an excellent golfer, you're going to have to go by yourself to a driving range for weeks, months and to the course and work on your game over and over and over again. And only then will you become an excellent golfer. And that's what modeling is like too. Training firms can teach you and they will give you uh, the knowledge you need. But to really become excellent and prove it, that requires independent uh, validation. And that's where we come in. And that's, you know, we're seeing a lot of great interest right now. We're partnering with some phenomenal, you know, organizations around the world that are that recognize that their members and their students, their members are looking for true validation of modeling skills. And I totally agree with you. I mean, I provide training. I know you used to run a training firm. Training is critical. People need training, but it's also great to have something that's just focused on validating that they can put the training in practice. You got it. Which is really hard to do during a training session. Yes, you can have them go through an exercise. You can do some multiple choice. Some are better than others, but it's different when it's a proctored exam that's reviewed by somebody and it's, you know, that standard, like you think a CPA or law firm or all the others you mentioned. So there's just a difference. I mean, let's be honest, there's a bit of a conflict of interest to a training firm running their own independent accredit. It, it, it's impossible because imagine if you're a training firm and you put 100 people through training and then you give them a very rigorous you know, exam. Well, as the training firm, you don't want to fail half of them because it doesn't <laughs> reflect well on your training. And of course, there will always be a bias and perhaps a perception out there that, well, maybe you're inflating the pass rate or passing more than you should. Even if it's not true, there might be that perception. Whereas because FMI is not a training firm, you know, we provide our candidates with learning materials the same way that CPA provides you with learning materials and CFA provides candidates with learning materials. FMI provides learning materials to our candidates, but that's not what we're selling. We're providing that to help people prepare for a rigorous exam. It's the independent exam uh, that's, that's manually graded by a team of people all over the world. As you said, yeah, I mean, People only pass our exams if they truly pass that very high bar. And then uh, and then everyone knows that, that they've achieved that uh, tremendous skill. Next question here is, I know you have a financial fundamentals, you have the certifications. What other resources and programs do you offer? Can you talk a little bit of what, what's all included in the FMI? What are some of the things? So, you know, I've talked about the fact that FMI is the world's only financial modeling accreditation body, and that's true, but it was never our sole purpose to create just the accreditation body. What our goal is, is to build the world's only true community of financial modelers. And we're working to build a community where, where people can interact with other modelers, whether they happen, whether that person happens to work in any continent on the planet, or whether they work in FP&A or in accounting or finance. We want to create a community of people that spend part of their day and part of their time in their work forecasting, planning, modeling. And so when people join the FMI program, let's pick our level one AFM, Advanced Financial Modeler Accreditation. That's the first of our accreditations. When they join that, they get access to our community. We've got a beautiful virtual community where you come in. All of the learning materials that I told you about live in the community. We host events. We're constantly hosting in events, free events for our community members 
on all sorts of things that'll be interesting to their career development. We had a great speaker in uh, a couple days ago on blockchain, the relevance of blockchain with financial modeling. And, and he connected modeling with blockchain work, which was fascinating. We've had other speakers in on Python. And so we're just bringing in speakers into our community and, and our community members can interact with each other and learn together. So when people join FMI, they get access to the community. They get access to learning materials uh, to help them prepare for the exams, and they get access to the exam. They get they get uh, to sit a very a rigorous proctored exam, which happens, the AFM exam happens four times a year, and they get the opportunity to have it graded by a team of graders. And if they pass, they get the AFM badge with their name on it that they can post on social media, which truly indicates that they have excellent financial modeling skills. So that's the full suite of what happens when you join one of the FMI programs. I was in the community the other day and I saw some of that, all the webinars and different things and excited to you know, participate in some of those. So I think that's great that you have a community in addition to the accreditation. So people have a place they can go to talk to others, to learn, to continue to grow, not just, hey, take your exam, get your badge and have a nice life. Exactly. You know, for us and for me, it's funny, modeling people often think of as a very technical sport. For me, it's actually very much a, a social endeavor, a personal endeavor. And for me, you know, half the battle is getting to meet great people all over the world that have a passion and that want to share their tips and ideas. So many modelers have so much to share. We don't want the FMI to be a spot where people can independently learn some skills and go back and hide in their, in their office for the rest of their days. But rather, we want to get people interacting and teaching each other and learning from each other to, to enhance this profession, this discipline of modeling. I love that. I think that's great that you've made that concerted effort to do more than just the accreditation. Speaking of wanting to further their profession, can you talk a little bit of why you decided to be the premier sponsor for the Financial Modelers Corner podcast? Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, it's because we're a huge fan of you. And uh, <laughs> um, no, I mean, funny you say that it ties into the, into the last question. We are a big fan of you, really respect the work that you're doing. Uh, and I always tell people, I get a lot of students and juniors that want to talk to me about career development and career progression. I always tell people that, you know, one of, if not the most important decision and criteria to use when making any career decision is the people that you're going to end up working with. I mean, as you know, and many of your listeners know, life can be pretty miserable. You might be doing, quote, excellent work, but if you're working with miserable people, it's pretty hard to overcome the uh, just the specific spreadsheet work, whatever technical work that you're doing. On the contrast, having excellent people around you and a great team goes a long way, even if the work isn't always exactly what you want. You can have a lot of patience to kind of get towards the next spot if you're working with a great team. So uh, tying into the what I said about community, we're trying to build a community. And as a result of that, we are trying to spread our, tent our tentacles far and wide. And we're trying, we are trying to partner with organizations all over the world to really create a, a technology. And uh, I'm thinking about back to the VHS and Betamax days, which might resonate with you. Uh, maybe you're too young to even remember that. No, I, I do remember that a little bit. It was when I was young. I can remember that. Most of your listeners have no idea what I'm like, what the heck is he, is he, is he 80, this guy? But uh, what we're trying to do is create something that's open. We want to create some open source. We want to be partnering with groups. We've got partnerships going on with all sorts of finance organizations, accounting organizations, because we want to be the, the open source 
place to be. And, and as a result, knowing you and what you were doing and being having the opportunity to get behind uh, a high quality podcast that's going to include and, and have guests of some of the best modelers and interesting modeling minds in the world, it just seemed like a natural fit and another way for us to support your work and the work of modelers to really uh, build their skills. That's at the end of the day, the only thing that we really care about is helping people build their skills and then of course validating them to elevate our profession of modeling to the same level as other professions that exist, you know, in, in the world. Thank you. I appreciate that answer. And, you know, similar for me is I was looking for a premier sponsor and had the idea I'd like to do a financial modeling podcast. You're one of the first ones that came to mind for me because I had always been impressed with FMI. I had heard really good things. I knew you'd been on the podcast and I'm like, seems like it'd be a natural fit. So I was really glad we were you know, able to come together and make this work. I'm excited to help further what you guys are doing, you know, to share that message of the FMI. Kind of last question speaking to that, and I think you asked some of that, but I'll just go ahead and ask it. What are you hoping people gain from the podcast? You know, for those who are listening, what do you hope they kind of take away? You know, you and I have talked about a lot of the guests that'll be coming up um, on the show, and I've got a lot of respect for you and, and the guests that will be on the show. One of the things that I really hope that people take away is, first of all, the understanding that if they happen to be building modeling or doing modeling as part of their job, they are not a lone ranger all by themselves. Sometimes there's only one or two people at any one organization doing intense modeling, but there are thousands and tens of thousands of you all over the world, and we want people to realize that this is a profession. It's a discipline. I want people to realize this is very important because the FMI feels very strongly about this and I feel very strongly about this, that while there are some critical disciplines around financial modeling, that there's not just one way, that there's lots of different ways and there's lots of different ways to peel an onion or to, you know, whatever analogy you want to use. There are lots of ways to get an answer that is beautiful, that is well-designed, that is accurate, that communicates clearly I want people to also recognize that while there's lots of ways, some people out there in industry have a very strong view and they'll say to you, you have to do something this way. This is the only acceptable way to do task, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. And I, and I don't feel that way. I don't think that's right. I think there's always more than one way that can be effective and you need to be thoughtful and creative. One simple example is around whether you choose to build models using a horizontal or a vertical approach. There are two major approaches to financial modeling and building models. If you join us, you'll learn all about that, the two ways people can model horizontally or vertically. While I personally, you know, have a slight preference for one because I find that it's it's easier to avoid errors, that doesn't matter. My opinion is not relevant. There are two very common ways to model and you need to understand the both and some people prefer one and some people prefer the other and they're both fine. The last thing I hope people learn and appreciate from modeling is that modeling is so much more than just sitting in front of a spreadsheet all day building a tool. And I like to tell people that a really good financial modeler becomes the leader, is the leader on a team. The leader is the one person that can interact with the tax people and the lawyers and the actuaries and the consultants and the operating team. You know, people sometimes ask me, Ian, if I'm building a model, what percentage of my time will I be in Excel in the spreadsheet? And my answer is often surprising. I tell people that as a good modeler, you should aspire to spend only 50% at most of your time in your spreadsheet. The rest of it is talking to people, doing research, asking questions, pushing, 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 saying why, why are we doing it this way? Presenting, building slides, communicating, taking feedback, pushing back on the feedback and helping to elevate and move the process to the finish line. And a good modeler is doing all that. It's not just a person sitting behind the spreadsheet cranking out a tool. And so 
Modeling is a tremendous skill that incorporates all sorts of different areas. And, and I hope that that comes through in the podcast with the various guests that you are going to include. I totally agree. It is multidisciplinary and it's important. It's not just about the spreadsheet. There's so much more. Now I'm excited to move into, we have some standard questions we're going to ask each guest. And there's a couple here that I think will be fun. So you'll be the uh, first one here. First, tell me about the worst financial model you've ever seen. Oh my gosh, the worst one. Gosh, <laughs> unfortunately, I've seen so many bad ones. I can't just uh, pick pick on one. One comes to mind. This broke a record in my mind. It, I just mentioned horizontal versus vertical. Horizontal models, of course, mean that you're using more sheets, a lot of sheets. Each sheet does not go that deep, but there's lots of sheets. Vertical means that less sheets and and more uh, more rows within each sheet are being used. We saw a model once a number of years ago that was built horizontally, and it was built on, drum roll, please, it was built on 113 sheets. There were 113 tabs in the file, and it was a disaster. Uh, and as you can imagine, every single formula, it was impossible to find the sheets. Every single formula was linked to four or five or six other sheets, and you couldn't find the sheets. Half of them were hidden, and so nobody could use it. There's only one real definition of what makes a model a poor model, and that is that it's not transparent. Let's be clear. The only reason we use models is to make a decision. And if someone can't use a certain model to confidently make a decision because they don't understand it, it's not working well. Most corporate models that I've seen do fall into that camp, but this was one that was built on 113 sheets. We fix it in two phases. Phase one, we took it from 113 sheets down to about six. We made it a lot more vertical and the client was blown away because suddenly every formula was like a waterfall. It flowed. It all talked to each other. It was linear. But I could go on for literally days about horrible models that had billion dollar errors in them because of terrible formulas, long complex calculations. But ultimately all models that are terrible cannot be understood or interpreted. And there's no, there's no confidence in this, in the numbers that they're spitting out. So when you talk about, you know, just horrible models in general, What's maybe the thing you've learned the most from seeing really bad models? What's your takeaway? Well, it's sort of what I talked about earlier is that people haven't put much time at all into design. And design does not just mean the, the colors. Design, and again, <laughs> we talk about this in the FMI, in the learning materials, but design means how you lay out the tab structure. Design means your colors and your fonts and accessibility. Design means the way you construct formulas. Design means which Excel tools you pick and which ones you deliberately don't pick because they're going to cause confusion. Design means how you create your formulas so that they can be flow. And one of, the, one of the tips that people hear me say all the time is one of my favorite mantras in modeling, and you've never heard this, is repeat and link. One of the biggest disasters in models is when you have a formula, as I'm sure your listeners have seen this, that links to six or seven other sheets. It's impossible to audit. So what I tell people is it's so simple. Instead of linking to five or six other sheets, go to that big formula, add five or six rows directly on top of it, repeat each of the input cells that's going to go into that formula, and then redo that formula just by referencing the cells that are now directly on top of you. It makes a radical change and it sounds so silly. And yet it has, a, a, if you do that 500 times, suddenly everything talks and everything flows. It's the same problems you see every time in any industry. It's problematic design around formula layout, logic, discipline design, et cetera, which causes all sorts of problems in terms of using the model later. I would agree with that. That generally tends to be the case. What you said all makes sense. This next section here is rapid fire questions. So you have to pick one or the other. You can't give me an it depends. Huh. You get no more than 10 seconds with each of them. And then when I get through all of them, about seven or eight here, you can pick one to elaborate on. Okay. 
So if you're ready here, I'll go ahead and get started. So circular or no circular references? I want to say it depends for all of them, but I know that I'm, uh, I know <laughs> you've just told me that, uh, you've just told me that I'm, I'm not too circular or no circular. I would say generally no, uh, unless needed. And, but only if the modeler truly understands circularity and 99% of people do not, I'll, I'll elaborate on that one later. All right. VBA or no VBA? Preferably no VBA. Horizontal or vertical? My preference is vertical. Dynamic arrays in models, yes or no? Usually not needed. External workbook links, yes or no? No. Named ranges versus no named ranges? No. Do you prefer using a formal modeling standard, like one of the official ones out there? Yes or no? These are tough questions. People are going to beat me up over this. There's a place for them. There's a place for them. But generally, I would say I struggle with them a little bit, um, but I would say no. And I'll talk about that more after. All right. And last one here. What is your lookup function of choice? VLOOKUP, index match, XLOOKUP, or if you have another? I love the choose function because it's so simple. First of all, I love all lookup functions. The, the one is not better than the other. They are all good. They all have a place. But what I tend to do, I like to pick the simplest tool to solve any given problem because that's what clients will understand most easily. I, I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I, I use all of them. I use all, but I like the simplest lookup functions because they are cleanest and easiest to understand. Got it. Thank you on that. So is there one of those you want to elaborate on a little more? All of them. <laughs> I figured you say, see, that's why I'm trying to make it hard. Make you pick a side here. The reality is, is that, is that none of these are hard yeses and nos. There is on every single question you asked me, there are times when I would go the other way. In most cases, I would say avoid circularity, but if it's needed, if it's needed, it's needed for a complex uh, capital structure model that requires understanding interest on cash sweeps and knowing what the impact will be. I I'm fine with it, but only if the modeler truly understands circularity and how to manage circularity and had turned it on and off and how to, how to detect it. Most people get, get really tripped up with circularity and they should not use it. So most people would be best off to avoid it, but it can be very effective if you know how to use it properly. So I, you know, and I, I could go on with that. I mean, on all of them, uh, VBA has a place. I like, I love using VBA in models for formatting, for automation. I try not to use it for building formulas, things like that. So, and even we talked about model standards. They're, the model standards are great. The model standards are great, but I find that they can box people in. Within an organization, if an organization finds it helpful to have a set of standards that everyone adheres to, fantastic, then they should use it. But it does stifle a little bit of creativity, I find, because then people are focused on how do I find the right number to stuff into the template order or the right standard as opposed to what they need to do to solve the problem. So there's a time and place for all of these things, I believe, but a strong modeler can ask the question and understand how and when to use each of these in each one. So thank you for putting me on the spot for all of these. And uh, they're, they're good questions. Yeah, no, I figured it kind of fun just to see where people stand. And I get it. You could go, we could have a show on each of these if we wanted to. And I could argue both sides for all of them easily. <laughs> <laughs> there's a time for vertical modeling. There's a time for horizontal modeling. Well, we're coming up near the end of our time. So first, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. It's really exciting to have you on our pilot episode. I'm glad you were able to share some of your knowledge. I look forward to our partnership together. And as we wrap up, two last questions for you. The first, if there's one nugget or one piece of advice 
that you kind of learned during your career around modeling that you would like to share, what would that one thing be? First of all, try to keep things simple. That does not mean dumb down the ideas, but try to use simple logic, simple flow, simple style, simple communication, because that will build confidence with your reader. Um, avoid unnecessary complexity if it's not needed. And that's a very tough spot to know what the where the right breaking point is. But people love being able to understand keeping it simple. And also, I want people to have the confidence to know that be yourself. Learn a lot about uh, these ideas. Never be comfortable if someone says, do it that way just be because we've always done it that way. That's the way we always do it here. That's not a good answer. Be confident pushing the envelope, being able to say, is this really optimal? Does this feel right? Can I do it better? Is there a better way? And if you can push the envelope and try to keep things effective and simple, you will have outstanding models. You'll be able to make great decisions and adopt a leadership role uh, in, in moving processes and projects forward to come up with really powerful solutions and powerful answers and, and great decisions for your teams. It's great advice. I appreciate it. And last question, if our audience wants to learn more about you or get in touch with you, what is the best way to do that? Oh, uh, that's easy. I mean, FMI's website is fminstitute.com. You can find us that way. You can email us at info at fminstitute.com. You know, you can find me, Ian Schnoor, S-C-H-N-O-O-R on LinkedIn. Um, we try to make ourselves pretty accessible and, and available. And so it shouldn't be hard to find us at Financial Modeling Institute. Well, thank you for joining us today, and we really enjoyed it, and I'm excited to uh, release this episode here shortly. We're excited to be here and support you and all the fantastic work you're doing and to be the prime sponsor of this and to be really involved. Very excited the industry can use this and uh, thrilled that you're doing it. So thanks for having me on here. Good luck with, uh, with the rest of this, and I'm excited to kind of kick it off with you here. Agree. Thank you so much. What a great first episode with Ian. I love talking to him about financial modeling. So impressed with his knowledge and what he's built. I've wanted to bring you Financial Modeler's Corner, a modeling podcast for several months now. And when Ian was interested in partnering with me in FMI, I knew that was the organization I wanted. So I'm so excited to get the opportunity to bring you this podcast to talk about financial modeling. One of the reasons I'm so passionate about this subject is I've dealt with the pain of trying to build a model and having no idea how to build it. You know, just kind of throwing it together, just going into Excel and starting to build, not recognizing best practice or design principles. That's the reason I'm excited to bring you this podcast and to bring you episodes regularly where we talk to the brightest and best minds in financial modeling. And, you know, along those lines, as I talk a little bit about just the challenges of, of modeling and not knowing where to start. I want to share a quote from our interview with Ian, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. So here we go. We're going to listen to this clip. At the time, modeling was a fairly you know, sort of early stage nascent skill. Uh, this was the late 90s, and I really got into it and loved modeling and trying to push the envelope on what models could do. And after spending about six years as an investment banker, I left banking and started a training firm, sort of realized that there was no opportunity for people to really learn formally and bankers were learning it on the fly. And so I like what he said there. There was no formal training opportunity. Bankers were just learning it on the fly. And that's why he started a training institute and why he started FMI. And so I think one of the most important things with modeling is design. In had talked about this before in a podcast where 
the number one problem with models is design. And something you'll learn, and we'll talk a lot about on this episode, is the importance of design. It's something you'll learn about if you join FMI is good design. So that's the first thing I wanted to share is just let everybody know that's something we're going to emphasize a lot because I can't stress that enough of how important it is to really think about how to design your model to make it easier. So next, I wanted to share something I found really interesting. I did a poll on LinkedIn where I asked people this question. I asked, have financial models become the most important decision-making tool in finance? So that's a question I asked. 743 people responded. 89% said yes. So what's clear to me is models are the most important decision-making tool. Yet the vast majority of us don't get formal training. Many of us have to rebuild models as soon as the person who built it leaves because we don't understand it. So it highlights to me the need here. It really validates for me the need of an accreditation organization like the Financial Modeling Institute and the need for more emphasis on how to build best practice financial models, right? They're just, they're critical. And so what I want to say is, as we move forward, one of the things we're going to do each week that I'm really excited about is we're going to basically have a ask the host or the guest anything, you can submit a question you have about financial modeling. And we'll either ask a future guest that, or we'll have a section at the end where I answer it, bring somebody in. So please, what I'm asking everybody to do is submit your questions you have to pbarnhurst at the fpnaguy.com or on LinkedIn, you can DM me. So something we'll be doing as we go through each episode is we'll be answering questions. We'll also talk about things we see in the news. So if you see something you find really interesting in the news about financial modeling, pass it along because we'd love to discuss it on a future episode. Last but not least, what I want to let you know is this episode is going to allow for CPE credit. So for those of you who are CPA, CMA, and meet those requirements, you can go to Earmark. It's earmarkcpe.com. Download the app and answer a few questions, and you will be able to get CPE credit. That's something we're really excited to bring you from day one. So if you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, I would ask that you please share the podcast with your friends and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and leave a review for the show. We'd love that. If you could give us five stars, that would be great. So thanks again for joining me on this first episode, and I look forward to learning with you about best practice financial modeling and bringing you some of the best and brightest names in financial modeling around the globe. Until next time, thank you. Financial Modelers Corner was brought to you by Financial Modeling Institute. Visit FMI at www.fminstitute.com backslash podcast and use code FMC15 to save 15% when you enroll in one of their accreditations today.